Guys. We need those Dove beauty campaigns. Oh uh, we would God. be nothing without Dove. <laughs> like, None of us would. It's true. <laughs> they know it too. <laughs> Um, hi, I'm Rachel Handler, and welcome to Lady Problems, where every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of ladies look at the way that pop culture has treated women in a given week, and it's almost always terribly. This week, Hazel Sills. Hello, Hazel. Hi, Rachel. And I are co-hosting the show alongside Sarah Papalardo. Hello. Hello. And Beth Newell. Hi. They're the authors of How to Win at Feminism and the editors and co-founders of Reductress, a satirical women's site that calls itself The Onion of Women's Magazines. So the three of us will kick off with an interview about Beth and Sarah's hilarious new book, and then we'll talk about a new link between birth control and depression that may or may not be total bullshit. Then we'll solve a lady problem for our friend Samantha, who's having some extremely sexist workplace drama. First, let's get, like, very basic. What is Reductress? Reductress is a satirical women's magazine. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. We're yeah. done. Or, <laughs> you guys can go now. All right. Um, yeah, it's a satirical women's magazine. Uh, kind of think the onion meets Cosmo. Um, Some mm. people would just say a fake women's magazine, if that's easier to wrap your head yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> Far fewer syllables. <laughs> okay, cool. And how did you guys like meet and get started and come up with the concept? So Beth and I met at the Magnet Theater. We were both doing sketch. And uh, a little bit after an election show that we co-wrote with some other people in 2012, uh, she came to me. She emailed me with this idea. She's like, I don't know. It was like a very, it was like a late night email where I was like, if I don't send this email about this idea I have, then it's just never going to happen. And I should just like take a leap. And at least ask someone if they want to do this. Yeah, and I was like, this is a great idea. And I'm like, oh, someone must have done this. But we, like, scoured the internet, and nobody had, like, done it in any, like, big way. So we were like, all right, let's do this. And we uh, started, we got a group of girls together in the beginning of 2013, wrote a bunch of pieces, uh, worked on the site, uh, launched in April with, like, 50 or 60 articles, and uh, the rest is history. Can you walk us through, you, you come up with an idea... Where does the idea come from? How do you guys talk about it? Like, walk us through the creation of, of a standard article. So most of our ideas come from our contributors. They e they email us pitches once a week, and then we have the joy of reading through all their ideas. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we big kids take on the topical stuff in-house and, uh, you know, like, whatever's going on in the news, and we just kind of, like, bat around what, like, a, a, a take on that news item would be, whether it's, like, something about the election or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then we kind of just, like, all start listing out headlines and we kind of collectively pick what is best. Yeah, sometimes we'll be like ranting about something that makes us mad and then we'll, yeah. we'll all, after we finally like get all of our emotions out, we'll be like, uh, <laughs> do we have like a headline about this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like 50-50. <laughs> so it's like cathartic for you guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is an example of uh, a time when you were sort of ranting about something and it turned into an article? Um, I think it was post the second debate we didn't do an article about the debate necessarily, but we were just like, this election. And then uh, I think that's where we came up with the uh, uh, hundred ways to self-care that won't get you through this election. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we just tag teamed a list of 100 self-care acts. Yeah. I love so. that. The self-care thing definitely, like, I, I get it. I feel like it's kind of meaningless now. Yeah. Like, yeah. The companies have 
the companies. The companies. <laughs> the man has yeah. caught on to self-care and now it's like yeah. you need it, yeah. these $60 <laughs> sheet masks right. to feel something now. <laughs> Which is no shade to sheet masks. Right. Like they're fun. I don't know. Love a good sheet mask. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because it's an important principle, I think, to self-care, but it's also just, like, literally anything you do throughout your day could be considered (laughs) self-care. Like, walk to the deli and get a seltzer. Right. Now I'm (laughs) self-caring. But you're not doing it right if there isn't a bath bomb involved. Right. Yes. Do love bath bombs. Love them. Have you guys – do you have an example of, like, a personal experience that you turned into an article? Hmm. Is he a kidnapper or just your Uber driver? (laughs) Definitely had some, like, borderline tuck-and-roll moments there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, the other thing that Hazel and I were talking about yesterday is, like, so something that we struggle with a lot on this podcast is, like, how to talk about things that are actually extremely fucked up in a way that doesn't make us and our listeners just, like, want to kill ourselves. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, it's just, like, like we have of... to talk about, like, this election, and we have to talk about, like, rape and rape culture, and I'm curious if you guys have those have those moments, too. That's, like, the whole reductress brand. It's just, like, <laughs> us being, like, ugh. <laughs> Being women, yeah. <laughs> and then we're and we like, just turn it into ghosts and witches, like <laughs> yeah. poop jokes. That's amazing. Yeah, it's called processing. That's exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. all. I mean, yeah. but do you ever have a moment where you've sort of had to step back? Like, have there ever been moments where you're like, I, I don't know if I can find the comedy in this today. Like, I need to take a break. And yeah, it definitely takes longer. Um, when we did the sexual assault uh, homepage takeover back in August, we uh, we found out over the weekend about um, someone in our comedy community who had sexual assault, sexually assaulted some women, and uh, we were like so upset about it. And then we're reading all these like ignorant Facebook comments about men like telling women that they should just report it to the police and like not understanding the conversation. And uh, we were just like so frustrated. I think it took us a full day, like a work day on Monday to like emotionally process. And then it wasn't until Tuesday that we like sat down and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like I think there was definitely that feeling like, oh, there's no one thing we could write that would like encapsulate all of our feelings about this subject. And that's kind of what led to us doing the whole takeover instead of just like our one take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also like with satire or just like jokes in general sometimes they have a tendency to have this like smug air of like haha I got Trump there but like when the person you're like getting with the joke has like sexually assaulted women like like when the Bill Cosby thing happened it was like you can't like when you see people make those jokes on Twitter you're like Ugh, it's not that's not satisfying for us women right. to just laugh it off you know what I mean? right like there's too much at stake what was an example of a particular article that that resonated with people during that takeover um i anonymously reported my rape for the anonymous attention was one of them <laughs> that um, killed me yeah i'm sorry yeah. that one really got to me yeah 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 what about in general like outside of the takeover what have been your guys like favorite pieces that have run on the site um how to be a wait how does the beginning of haunted <laughs> clock tower go <laughs> How to be a lady in the streets on a haunted clock tower in the sheets. Yes, that's it. That's it. All we do at our book club is drink wine and worship the devil. That's a good one. Another good one. What's the one that's like, I'm not so political. Um, uh, I just want to retain my privileges forever. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are so good. Have you ever 
publish something uh, where, because I know The Onion has certainly had moments where they've published something that people have thought, uh, you know, it's the joke sort of went too far. Have you, has Reductress had any of those moments where you've published something and you thought, you know what, maybe that was a little too far? I don't think we've had like the, um, like we haven't had our C word moment. If that, <laughs> yeah, that's answers your question. We've had people think things are real, which is like common with satire. Yeah, and then it's like a very typical attack thing where they're like, "Oh, what? This is so offensive." And then they're like, people are like, "This is satire." And then they're like, "Yeah, I knew it was satire, but it's still <laughs> offensive." And then they like continue to argue about the article as if it's written sincerely instead of as satire. Like they always yeah. have this weird defense that doesn't make any sense, right? But uh, I think I feel like it, it all gets worked out in the comments section for better or worse. <laughs> so we haven't had any like overwhelming like take this down piece. Yeah. It's like yet. extremely brave to have a comment section. Yeah, I know. We actually took it off the site, so now it's just Facebook comments. Oh, but good. you know, it's still just as quirky. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we were talking about that too. Like, if obviously not everybody, you know, no offense to like the stupid people out there. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> <laughs> may not understand your message or like are you ever worried that it gets muddled or like an MRA will read oh, it yeah. and be like yeah like this is totally true yeah every once in a while I see this uh, like MRA Twitter account retweet some of our stuff as <laughs> if it were real like especially the kind of average woman does this or you know woman does why um, and yeah that, so the trolls will like take it very differently than it was intended but uh, yeah the same thing happens with feminist issues where we'll have headlines that are like us kind of laughing at ourselves as feminists and like this is a bad example but we have one that's like I'm a feminist, so I fart on the dicks in the club. <laughs> and, uh, but like, uh, but like other like MRAs will pick that stuff up too and be like, "Ugh, feminists!" And like, yeah. you're like, um, I don't think you really get what's going on here. They'll uh, try anything. That's almost, that almost to me is like a compliment that yeah. the, that an MRA would read that and actually think that that was like a deep feminist issue. <laughs> you know, like, I agree. Mm-hmm. I will, we should fart on more dicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm doing wrong with my life. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the book. Uh, so why why did you guys decide to write this now? Uh, back in 2014, we kind of noticed that feminism had hit the mainstream in a certain way. Like celebrities were picking it up, and you know, it became like a common discussion in magazines and things like that. And it was kind of being delivered in this watered-down way that was pretty funny to us. Uh, We did a piece at the end of 2014, like the prettiest feminists of 2014, (laughs) and people just like, some people thought it was real, other people were just like, what? Um, And uh, yeah, that just led to us writing writing this about a really bad manual on how to be a feminist from the point of view of a a women's magazine. (laughs) So like, that's ultimately what How to Win at Feminism is. It's like a really... Uh, weird manual on how to how to win at feminism, which, by the way, nobody can win at feminism. Everybody wins at feminism. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there are no winners. Yeah, even just that that idea of you know that there's even a, sort of a set of rules that you have or a, a set of boxes that you have to check to like be the superior feminist, as if it's like a video game or something. I mean, w- was there a specific moment for you where you saw like s- where feminism sort of hit the mainstream and you both were like, oh, come on. 
It's hard to say because the the like most iconic moment probably wasn't the one I was most mad at because it was like I, I mean it was Beyonce and the giant feminist sign mm-hmm. which was definitely like okay it's <laughs> very much mainstream now but I def- I wouldn't say that Beyonce is like the biggest issue you know what I, I mean like, it's more like the backlash to stuff like that like yeah. I think we're like pretty much 100% for anything Beyonce does mm-hmm. but <laughs> Uh, there was like people who were then like, "Is she a feminist? Because she wears sexy clothes, and can feminists do that?" And like, there's like this weird evaluation of feminists that started happening as people started coming out of the feminist closet. And I think like that's sort of a, a lot of what this book is is like making fun of those people that are like, "Feminism is this." Yeah. Yeah. Is there any celebrity? I mean, obviously Beyonce. Again, I, I agree with you that she can do no wrong. But I do feel like you're totally right. Like people like Amy Schumer and Lena Dunham and Taylor Swift. Like they're all sort of calling themselves feminists with different agendas. Is there anybody that's like doing it in a way that isn't ridiculous to you guys, or are they all kind of ridiculous in their own ways? There's a lot of ridiculousness out there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Truly, I think everybody. I, yeah, I, I would hate to call out anyone individually. Right. That would be so rude. So but, rude. So <laughs> not feminist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, everybody, like, it's just inherent in, like, being a public figure. You're going to do something wrong, and that's normally okay because we're human. But, um, yeah, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, I think the pro- part of the problem is that we, like, put these people up on a feminist pedestal, and then we, like, wait to see them fall. We're like, here you <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can just picture people, like, l- waiting for Lenny Letter to come out. Like, what can we find wrong with this today? <laughs> ah. um, I feel like in the past, um, women who are comedians sort of had to uh, make their comedy in a way that sort of always appealed to men or were sort of bro-y. Like, I think about, like, Amy Schumer's comedy or Kathy Griffin's comedy where they're they're super self-deprecating in a way. Like, they sort of have to make fun of themselves to get to a place where, like, you know, everyone in the audience can sort of make fun of them. Um, and I don't necessarily see that in Reductress. Like, you're sort of... There, there is sort of, like, an empowering element to some of the articles, even if they are sort of making fun of, like, feminist media at the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, just in general, feminist comedy in general, I mean, how have you seen the evolution of sort of like what women talk about in their comedy change over the past few years? I think a lot of uh, female comedians are not answering to men as much as they used to. And I think we all like this was so much our experience before we started Reductress was that like we'd pitch a sketch to a room full of men and they'd be like, huh, I don't get it. And like, of course they don't like because they, you know, didn't bleed out of their vaginas for 25 years. (laughs) I think also it's there's like a little bit of tension in comedy between like comedians who are a few years older than us, the same way there is between like second wave feminists and third wave feminists where it's like they are a product of their generation. They had to go do stand up in rooms that were all men and they like paved the way for us. So it's like, yeah, they did have to bro up their comedy a little bit. And yeah, that isn't going to strike as much of a chord with us as women who got to play on basketball teams in high school, you know, but like uh, they did, they were doing what they had to do, I think. And so it's like, I try not to throw too much shade at those people because you're like, well, they, 
they're, they literally paved the way for us to be able to do what we do. Yeah, it's not their fault. They didn't have the WNBA like we did. So. <laughs> and they cool. didn't have the manual. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They didn't know how to win. Sure. Yeah. Feminism. But I mean, I think even we were we were pitching stuff to try to like uh, impress the broad, you know, like impress men or like at least, mm-hmm. you know, be validated by them like early and when we were doing sketch. It's just kind of it was the nature of the room. Like if you want to get a sketch in the show, you Got to pitch something that they like because they're the director, they're the head writer, they're, you know, yeah. whatever. Sarah so. was always writing about, like, jerking off. So. Oh, I honestly, <laughs> I definitely remember writing a lot about masturbating ghosts because oh. I'm like, oh, that's what men like, right? Yeah. Uh, like the yeah. ghosts masturbate. I don't know. People are, <laughs> who you is know, masturbating? That is actually a novel. <laughs> Maybe we should write that. I think they were just like masturbating like themselves. Because I think it wouldn't inherently be masturbation if they were masturbating with someone else. But they're a ghost. That's true. That would just be ghost. Oh, yeah. You know what I I mean? I know. I think about it. It really makes you think. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Do you guys ever think about men like... Never. (laughs) (laughs) Just cut you off right there. Yeah. No. Okay, great. Same. All right. Take it away, Hazel. Okay. So maybe you have heard about this study, but a study came out that basically linked uh, taking birth control pills uh, to depression. Um, And it was the study that studied women between uh, 15 and 34. It was like they studied a million Danish women and researchers found that the use of hormonal birth control was positively linked to uh, diagnosing depression and uh, women using antidepressants. Um, But the study has – so people have been writing about how this study is sort of problematic uh, <laughs> uh, because it basically just measured how likely women were going to uh, get prescriptions for antidepressant and not as much the diagnosis. So it was just sort of like the pool of women just were taking birth control but were also taking antidepressants. And it wasn't like the the link between does birth control actually – make women more depressed wasn't correlation wasn't yeah 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 yeah. so um the study is kind of bullshit (laughs) basically and we just for a little more medical perspective we reached out to my mom's dr lauren striker an associate clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at northwestern university's feinberg school of medicine uh we asked her to call in with her take and just explain the sort of nitty-gritty medical stuff to us this is Dr. Lauren Stryker, author of Sex RX, Hormones, Health, and Your Best Sex Ever. I'm an associate professor of clinical obstetrics and gynecology at the Feinberg School of Medicine, Northwestern University. And this study was interesting because, of course, we're always concerned about any side effects in birth control pills because this is something that we are giving to a large number of very healthy women. But this study was actually pretty reassuring because what it said is that while there was a slight uh, increase in, in depression in this population, it was very, very small. And as the authors of the study said themselves, this is a population which is 
pretty much at risk for potentially having depression. These are young women that might be starting college, a new relationship, a problematic relationship, and you really cannot make the absolute correlation that the initiation of birth control pills, you know, suddenly plunge these these women into a depression. That's that's far from the case, and it's actually very reassuring. So my my approach to this whole um, study is that I'm not changing anything I'm doing. Certainly, anytime I have a patient who starts a new medication, whether it's birth control pills or anything else, I always want to know if there's any problems, any side effects, anything that has changed. Certainly, if someone comes in and says that they are feeling depressed, that they're feeling bluer than, than usual, we'll kind of track it back and see, when did you start to feel that way? Was it when you started your birth control pill? Was it when maybe something else was going on in your life? Being mindful that, yes, there may be this association, but it is certainly not so strong that I would tell women when they start birth control pills, this may make you depressed. Um, there, are, there are other side effects that are far more likely and uh, that should be mentioned, such as blood clots uh, in any young woman who's starting birth control pills. So interesting study good information, but not really going to change the approach that we take to birth control pills right now. Um, But yeah, basically, so I think what's what is upsetting about all of this is that, like, all of these, you know, like, I think Jezebel was like, this study is bullshit, but a lot of, like, The Guardian, I think, was like, this sort of making it this very alarmist tale of, like, oh, well, you know, the doctors have been lying to you, and women need to, like, be careful what you're putting into your bodies, and it's, like, this whole, like, spiral of shame and morality around, like, such a very personal issue. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people I know posting it, like, I am throwing out my birth control pill. <laughs> 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 Like that is what I. (laughs) (laughs) He's not on the pill. (laughs) I mean that maybe they didn't say that, but that was the tone that I uh, read into people posting about it. Um, And yeah, I mean birth control pills. Like I take birth control pills because I'm terrified of (laughs) IUD. Me too. Me too. Um, And it's fine for me. Like I'm. I'm fine. I'm not a birth control truther. Like I think there are certainly people who. <laughs> I mean, do you guys feel that way? I, uh, I gotta say, I think as much as the coverage of this was sensational and like maybe unnecessarily triggering for certain women, <laughs> uh, I'm actually glad that it started this conversation because like, who is ever talking about birth control and like, it, it does cause emotional issues for a lot of women, and I know like a lot of women who, like, the second they start taking birth control, they, like, go off the rails. Like, they're like, I cannot function, and they they can't take birth control. And I think that's fine. And I think it affects other women to, like, a lesser degree, but still a degree that we should have we should be more aware of, I think. Because when I read this, or the original coverage of this, I was like, oh, well, I'm glad I'm not one of those women that, like, has a strong reaction to this. And then I remembered all of a sudden that the year that I started birth control, I had, like, a huge panic attack and, like, went to the hospital. So I was like, you know, it's not a bad idea to be sensational about stuff sometimes when we don't talk about women's issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was convinced when I started taking birth control at 17 that it was making me depressed, and then I realized it was just because I was dating a guy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I got rid of both at the same time. It's been all uphill from yeah. there. I think but. also like a lot of the outrage that I think this spawned was women reacting. There was like a I don't I think it was related to the discussion of male birth control and how like doctors don't want to give men birth control because it, it is known to have some of the same side effects that women already deal with on female birth control. So <laughs> Uh, I think that's like so so frustrating, mm-hmm. um, and they also don't want to make male birth control because they're like, oh, men won't buy this, and you're like, we need to start giving them the option so that this is not like falling all over us. Um, I I'm like so uh, passionate about this issue because I I've had two kids in the last like two years, two, two or three years, and uh, after my second child a couple months ago I went I had to get the IUD because I was just like can't have any more kids right now <laughs> uh, that's and a like, good reason like to be recovering from childbirth and nursing a newborn and then to have to like have like a painful thing inserted into your body and then also deal with the hormones of that while you're dealing with the hormones of breastfeeding it's so much to put on a woman yeah. like you're just like you want to punch a man every day. Um, so, yeah, uh, this study kind of got me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if the even if the facts are not like 100 percent in favor of like this correlation. I well, don't but care. You, it happened for you. Like, it yeah. makes sense for you. I think it's the point is that it's like very different for everyone. Like, I personally have been on the pill since I was 15 and I went off it a few months ago because I was like, what if I'm like amazing without the pill? <laughs> 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 like, what if I'm like an amazing person? A totally person? different person. <laughs> isn't it also that, uh, maybe we need to fact check this, but isn't it also if like you're on the pill, you think men are more attractive. Yeah. I was Isn't like, that I might break up with my boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Okay. It's like, well, it, well, I think uh, it is. <laughs> I would say, that might be true, but I would say, uh, having gotten pregnant twice, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, when you are ovulating, like actually ovulating and not on birth control, then uh, you're like, I guess you do ovulate with certain birth, types of birth control, but uh, that like really increases your sex drive. Um, so sometimes you end up having sex right when you're ovulating and you get pregnant. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, but I was gonna like I still don't really know. Like I would say I have I'm prone to anxiety. I too have had panic attacks in the past like five years. But like I would love to pin it all on my birth control. Like I really would. I really wish that that was like my pill. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it, guys, spoiler alert, it wasn't. Oh. I'm still crazy. Oh, no. So I went back on it. Okay, good. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I don't want to be crazy and pregnant. Yes, exactly. Because that's the worst punishment I could imagine. <laughs> crazy and pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Next on him. Like, talk yeah. about depression. Mm-hmm. Getting yeah. pregnant. I do. I do think there's like an adjustment period though, because I was on birth. I was on the pill for like ten years, and I was good on it. Like I like didn't have a lot of cramps. I enjoyed it. I would just say like I think with anything, there's like that first like six month window where you like don't quite know what's gonna happen. Right. Yeah. You know. I feel like the like among our office, like everyone has had a different like contraceptive story. Whether it's like I didn't have acne and everything was fine, and then like the next day you're just like inflamed with like boils for some reason. <laughs> like everybody, and it it just totally depends on like which IUD you have, which pill you're taking, and it's. Just, just so bad. It's so annoying. It's so bad. Well, yeah, but you never know which direction it's going to go. It's so bad. It's just Russian roulette. Mm. It right? really is. With our reproductive organs. <laughs> Seriously. I was. I had a minute where I was like, maybe I should see, because I, I heard that, um, what's the word? What's it called when a guy gets, like, snipped? Vasectomy. Vasectomy. Yeah. 
I heard that that was reversible, so I was like, I should like convince my boyfriend to get that. And then my mom, who's in uh, women's health, was like, Rachel, it's not really reversible. Like, it's like theoretically reversible, but you cannot like fuck with that. Like, right. don't do that. But then I was like, but why? But I mean, <laughs> they have to you... cauterize the vas deferens or something, so that must be kind of complicated. Do you really need it to be his sperm? You know what I mean? Exactly. There's plenty of sperm. Really love him. Such a good point. I think it's point. so weird how like men are so particular about it being their sperm. I know it's like biological, <laughs> like an instinct we have or whatever. But right. get over yourself. Like, seriously. Out. That's fucking selfish. Yeah. <laughs> I should make him hear this. I'm like, you don't even know. I can have someone else's kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ugh, millennials. <laughs> Typical mm. narcissistic behavior. Ugh. Uh. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, and I also know people that have similarly like gone crazy on the pill as well. So I think it is just like extremely personal. And like I personally, like also I broke out like crazy when I went off the yes. pill. So I was like, I'd rather be like cuter and like feel a little more nuts also yeah (laughs) is that feminist the the other the other issue i have with the data i'm like kind of anti-data in some cases because i feel like it it doesn't tell the whole story Mm -hmm. right so like i feel like so many times as a woman when i go to the doctor and i say i'm having an issue they really like brush me off and don't take it seriously Mm -hmm. and i think that was mentioned in one of these articles that it's like when a woman comes in and she's, like, suicidal and depressed, sometimes doctors will be like, oh, mood swings are natural. Like, you know, like, they'll just, like, they with women, they, like, chalk things up to all these other issues. They're like, oh, it could just be, like, PMS or blah, blah, blah. You're fine. You know? Right, right. Whereas when, I feel like that's kind of why we have the data for the male birth control causing all these, like, mood issues because they're like, well, the man said that he was having uh, <laughs> mood issues, so he definitely was. So it was yeah. definitely real. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's like— Speaking of data, though, I think that, like, it's now being documented that, like, doctors are brushing off women's issues more in the office and women of color, too, are just Mm -hmm. being brushed off. And Mm -hmm. it's like there's so much implicit bias in, like, how we're being cared for. That's bullshit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I want the gaslighting data. Yeah. Just across. (laughs) Just, like, every interaction ever. Yeah. We can measure. Number of women who've been brushing. (laughs) Yeah. Who's being brushed off. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's being lied Who's going to do that study? Hazel. Get on it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Taking a census like by hand. Yeah, like, yeah. You're a doctor. It's fine. Okay, so Sarah and Beth, we have this hotline where people can call us with any questions that they have. It's it's their own lady problems. And listeners, don't forget that you can call and leave us a message at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. So this week's caller, Samantha, left us a message about a pretty fucked up thing that she's experiencing at work. Let's listen. Hi, um, so I, my name is Samantha, and I'm calling with a lady problem um, from my work environment. I work at a clinic, and although we do really good work, I have been hearing our providers talk about our Hispanic patients, which about 40% of our population is Hispanic, um, and they are constantly referring to um, the Hispanic women as basically baby makers. 
So if a woman comes in and is having some kind of problems with uh, having to go see gynecology or having problems with infertility, I've repeatedly heard specific doctors say this means basically the end of the world for them. Um, so how do I address it? Do I address it? I'm not a doctor. I'm not up there with them. Um, what do I do? This is a really tough question because it sounds like she's very much like working for these people. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't know. I mean, I think she could make a case if they were to like fire her for this that that their firing would be illegal. Yeah. (laughs) But if she feels confident enough to like be willing to risk her job, then I think she should say something. I don't know. If this was not like an employer situation, I would say definitely say something because I think like. Sometimes people in these situations just need to hear someone call them out on, like, the inappropriateness of what they're saying. And then they won't necessarily own up to it, but they'll backtrack enough to, like, not do it in the future. Right. Yeah. Or you could just go full class action lawsuit and get some of the women involved. But, you know, that's a lot of effort, too. I like that. Go full Aaron Brockovich. Exactly. You know, if you can, like, actually get that stuff recorded, then, like, you've you've got something. And those people shouldn't probably shouldn't be caring for women. No. So, uh, no. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if it um, – I think she'd have to, like, draw a link between that saying that and the quality of care the women were receiving because it sounds like the doctor is not saying that to the women themselves. Right. right. But, and it's, it kind of depends on, like, how this is being said, too. Like, have they verbatim said, like, these women are nothing but baby makers or was it, like, a really tasteless joke? Like, I don't know. There's It does kind of – it's like you kind of have to know them to mm-hmm. really know, like, how ill-intentioned they are. Yeah. It also sounds like she might be saying that they're, like, she said basically, like, baby makers. Like, she, they're implying to these women mm-hmm. that that's what they are, which yeah. is even more, yeah. like, mm-hmm. even more horrifying. Sometimes it sounds I, like a hellhole you should get out of yeah. here, <laughs> Samantha. So, sometimes I feel like there's, like, a thing you can do where, like, you ignore uh, people's weird comments, but then you make an opposite statement later. So, like... They see it modeled for them how to be a respectful person. Right. So, I mean, obviously you can't just be like, I love Hispanic women. But uh, <laughs> if you can, like, treat them like humans and say nice things about them that are humanizing and, like, just be a more respectful person. I, I, I don't know. There might be something there you can say. Yeah. I mean, like, to, to me, the, the like, broader persp- – the way that I would, like, talk to this guy would be like, okay – there's like a 50% chance you're Irish or Italian. Like if you're Catholic 50 years ago, some asshole doctor was saying the same thing. And it's like, have some perspective, you idiot. But uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah. But I mean, again, I think like the broader issue here, like the question is always like, how bad is so bad that you need that someone needs to be punished rather than reformed, like in a position of power? Mm-hmm. Like what's what's that like dividing line where you think yeah. you can fix someone or like just say like, be fired. And I do think the more you seek to punish people, the more they dig in their heels. You know, like if you can try to bring them around to your side of things, hopefully they'll like be a nicer person going forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So either sue them or make a very lovely PowerPoint explaining why they're wrong. Basically, it really just depends on like how bad it is. Well, thanks for calling us, Samantha. We hope that we helped you in some small way. And sorry that your workplace sucks so bad. Yeah. But we're here for you. Yeah. We yeah. got you, girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe go apply for a job at an office where women yeah. are doctors. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thanks so much to my co-host Hazel Sills and our guests Sarah Papalardo and Beth Newell. They have a great new book out called How to Win at Feminism, and you can find it wherever books are sold. 
Thanks so much for listening. I'm Rachel Handler. This is Lady Problems, and we'll see you guys next week. This episode of Lady Problems was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. 